Father, we do love you and thank you for loving us first and thank you for all of your blessings, all your people so faithful together and um, eager to learn. And I pray you help us to learn these things together and uh, just give us a greater hunger for you and your word. Um, and um, as a result, just give us more faith. And um, we trust you do that. Bless all the requests that have been made for our families. Uh, we do pray for the God ones and their loss and that you would uh, take care of them, bless them, and um, the other uh, loss that was mentioned, and, and just the sickness that we know about, and people that are unsaved around us, and um, Lord, just for so much that's on our hearts and minds, for tests that have been um, done, waiting on results, we pray your blessings there, um, we pray for wellness and healing, and um, we, we just thank you for the fact that we can trust you with uh, with all things that happen, and um, we pray you'd open our eyes and minds that we can receive your word tonight and um, the truth of this doctrine in Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> Even though we're at uh, section ten, chapter ten, I want to read something to you from um, chapter three first, and then chapter seven. And then we'll move on to chapter 10. So if you want to put your, hold your place there in chapter 10 and kind of uh, flip back to, it's page 17 and then forward to page 22. But, and I'll tell you why I'm going to read that. Um, Back to where I, am. I mentioned this last week, but starting with chapter seven all the way to chapter twenty is um, shows various aspects of God's covenant of grace um, and how He grants salvation to sinners. So you know, I love that the the covenant. I mean, the um, confession is going. You know, like there's, it's intentionally put together in a certain way. And um, so where we're going to back up and look, because beginning in chapter 7, the covenant is defined, and then we go straight to Christ, and we talk about him being the mediator, which we just finished. And then you talk about man's free will and various conditions and states of man's free will. And then you get to chapter 10, from there through chapter 18, and we look at different um, actions of God in, as he brings sinners to himself, from death to life, in other words. Um, so you kind of, I just want to give you that, sort of see that progression. We have that, you know, start talking about God's covenant and how God, that's how he deals with his people, really, um, since the beginning of time, was covenant, based, of course, in the covenant of redemption that began before time began, as we know it, between the within the Trinity, um, there was a covenant made, and you see that clearly in Ephesians 1, that there was a covenant um, made within the the Godhead to save, um, redeem his people. And then from that um, comes all the other covenants until we get to the covenant of grace and um, uh, the new covenant, uh, I meant to say. And, um, and we see it all come to fruition there, right? And we understand what God was doing. And we have the privilege of being able to um, look back and see all that 
because it's all done, right? And that's a great blessing. But um, so you had that covenant. Then you had, you see Jesus and as the mediator of the covenant. And then, and then I think it's cool that they stick man's will in there because obviously that's not just been a debate that we deal with in the modern church. That's been something that they were dealing with way back in the 17th century and even before. You can trace that all the way back to the 3rd century, in fact, at least in church history, of when this idea of how free is man and uh, what is man's will and how does it act. And then, as I said, we get to chapter 10, and um, it talks about from, from there really all the way to um, chapter 18. Um, it speaks of how God brings sinners from death to life. And specifically 14 through 18 uh, does deal with human response to God's calling and God's choosing and God's saving. And so um, um, that's, that's why I brought that up. But if you go with me back to page 17 here, You'll see this in God's decree, what it says in um, section 6, chapter 3. Just as God has appointed the elect to glory, so he has by the eternal and completely free purpose of his will foreordained all the means. Now, do you understand what that is saying? I know we studied this already. But not only has God ordained and orchestrated how people are, uh, that people are saved and how he was going to redeem them, but he also ordains all the means to get people to himself, right? So the word, the preaching, the way he brings people from death to life, God has orchestrated and ordained all that. So um, not only uh, is salvation God's, but the whole thing from beginning to end is God's, right? And so it goes on to say, therefore those who are elected being fallen in Adam are redeemed by Christ and effectually called to faith in Christ by his spirit working at the appropriate time. Then they are justified, adopted, and sanctified and kept by his power through faith to salvation. None but the elect are redeemed by Christ or effectually called, justified, adopted, sanctified, and saved. Now, I, I just, you know, they're sort of foreshadowing all the way back in chapter 3 to chapter 10 and, um, and we're going to talk about this more, but I hope you see already right there, we talked about this last week, Romans chapter 8, sort of right there, the, the golden chain of redemption, you sort of see that, right? That the pre preordination, um, calling, justifying, sanctifying, and then glorifying, that's referred to Romans 8.30, that golden chain of redemption, that thing that God does, and it, and there, it cannot be broken by man. And not even the free will of man, right? And that's why we talked last week about that in depth. Not even your will, um, certainly not your will, thanks be unto God, can stop God from doing what he's going to do, right? So we don't thwart God's purpose. You know, no, we're not going to get to eternity and God is standing there disappointed because some people that were supposed to be saved didn't get saved because they refused. Okay, so that's kind of what we talked about last week. Um, and then if you skip on over... Through, uh, to page 22, th this uh, whole section, I mean, chapter 7, says, through rational, uh, though rational creatures are responsible to obey God as their creator, the distance between God and these creatures is so great that they can never have attained the reward of life except by God's voluntary condescension. 
he has been pleased to express this thought through a covenant framework, right? We just talked about that. Since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. In this covenant, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he requires faith in him that they may be saved and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all whoever, who are ordained to eternal life to make them willing and able to believe. So isn't that great? God requires faith, and then he makes you willing and able to believe and have faith. So this covenant is revealed in the gospel. It was revealed, first of all, to Adam in the promise of salvation through the seed of the woman. After that, it was revealed step by step until the full revelation of it was completed in the New Testament. This covenant is based on the eternal covenant transaction between the Father and the Son concerning the redemption of the elect. That's the covenant of redemption I mentioned earlier. Only through the grace of this covenant have those saved from among the descendants of fallen Adam obtained life and blessed immortality, and humanity is now utterly incapable of being accepted by God on the same terms in which Adam was accepted in his state of innocence. So now uh, we have no hope of uh, coming to God the way Adam did. We have to come to God through this covenant. And what I love about this, I know I've said this before, because this was so set in stone within the Godhead before eternity or in eternity past, before creation even happened, there's absolutely no way that it's not going to happen. And I think that's so cool to look back once you're born again and saved, to look back and go, wow, you know, I thought I was going to hell. I thought I was this and that. I was, I was never not going to be saved. I mean, God was going to do this no matter what. Nothing like the end of Romans 8 says, neither angels, nor height, nor depth, nor principalities, things present, things to come, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, nothing. And I think that's beautiful. So um, I don't think we should get caught up in all this. Well, are you saying some people can't be saved? I mean, I just think we ought to focus on the fact that God saves people. And he does so without flaw. And so the great hope is what we're going to talk about tonight. The great hope is that when the gospel is preached, an effectual call from God will happen and his people will hear that and be saved. Because that's what's happened to all of us. We got saved because of this thing called uh, an effectual call. Um, I found a lot of definitions for effectual call. Um, basically, uh, it is is God the Father speaking through the preaching of the gospel to cause his people to hear and believe and be saved. That's basically what effectual calling is. Now there's a general call. Anybody know what would you how would you define the general call of the gospel? Okay, yeah, I just kinda of made that up, but um, uh, see if I can say it the same way. Yeah. The preaching of the the human preaching of the gospel to bring his people to save in faith. I think that's different than what I said before. But it's close. I read a lot of stuff that sounded similar to that. I thought that was just a simpler way. I mean, I've got some Puritan definitions here, but who's, who's got time to write that down? You know? <laughs> and who's going to remember it? You will never remember it. A Puritan sentence is ten times longer than a normal sentence. So we're on to the general, right? Yeah. So general call. What would be the general call of the gospel? 
as opposed to the effectual call. Anybody know? Let's take a guess at it. I've kind of already said it. But it's like the same as effectual call, but it's general for all populations. And not, it's effective in, in what it does. It's either going to condemn or bring somebody, but it's like the more general, like, Jesus is the only way. Uh, right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and really, uh, an easier, even easier way to put it, the general call of the gospel is what what I do, what we do. We preach the gospel. That is the general call. Anybody can hear it. We can preach it to every creature. The effectual call comes from God, and it's something that has nothing to do with me or us. It does have to do with His Word, which is why we preach the gospel. And that's why I said earlier, we preach the gospel in hopes that the effectual call will come. Because I cannot affect people's decision. And I think this is one of the places that we've messed up over the years in evangelicalism. Is we feel like we can affect the call. So we beg and we plead and we give invitations that last forever. And we sing more hymns and more verses. And eventually, people will do something. Eventually, they get the call. Right. And, and look, sometimes... Sometimes even through that, God has God has done what he does. But I think it's a lot, there's a lot of confidence in knowing this. Preach the gospel, preach it clearly, and <clears throat> God will call his people from it, right? <clears throat> I don't have to, now it doesn't mean I shouldn't study and prepare and preach the best way I can and try to put things together that make sense and that go somewhere and that help the human mind grasp what it, however God does that I shouldn't be lazy and just stand up and um and and not try but no matter how cleverly I put it together or how well I uh, am able to orate the um the message none of that's gonna matter the effectual call of God comes sometimes even through the most feeble of preaching I think it wasn't a Spurgeon that came to church on a snowy Sunday and a deacon or somebody had to preach because the preacher couldn't even get there. And he said the, about the only thing the man said was look unto Jesus, look unto Jesus. I mean, he preached the gospel and just, and God used that to call Spurgeon to himself. And, you know, one of the great, one of the great preachers that's existed since the Bible. And um, there's been a lot of times I've seen that in my own ministry where I thought, I, man, I've done, that was, you know, I'm even, Patting myself on the back. That's a good sermon. Seems like nothing. There have been times I thought I bombed it and I was embarrassed. And then find out somebody come to faith in Christ. You know, and, and you're it's a good reminder that it's not it's not about us. The effectual call of God comes from God Himself. And um <clears throat> I think that's important to remember. <coughs> Sorry. So we'll read this first section here. Maybe it'll explain it better than I can. Um, there on page 27. It, in God's appointed and acceptable time, he is pleased to call effectually by his word and spirit those he has predestined to life. He calls them out of their natural state of sin and death to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ. He enlightens their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God. He takes away their heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh. He renews their wills 
and by his almighty power turns them to good and effectually draws them to Jesus Christ. Yet he does all this in such a way that they come completely freely since they are made willing by his grace. Now see there again, I love that that section comes right after a whole chapter about the free will of man. Because this is what, remember we said people would charge this against us. Well, you just, that makes us a bunch of robots. No, it doesn't. Because of God giving us ears to hear and eyes to see, and suddenly that effectual call that you, you might not hear anything audibly, but the effectual call of God opens your eyes to faith. And suddenly you realize, you, you may not know any theology, but that, that person they're talking about of Christ dying on the cross, he died for me. That's my sins he paid for. He is calling me to be saved. I'm, I'm going to repent of my sins and have faith and believe in him. All that happens, however it happens, and you're not, you're not a robot. You are willingly and freely choosing to follow Christ. So I think that's where it's wrong for people to charge uh, uh, those of us who believe the way we do that, well, you just, you just teach that we're a bunch of puppets on a string. No. I mean, we were dead. And, and, and this is what I, other thing I wanted to mention, if I still got it here. If you remember about three weeks ago, I think it was, maybe further back, I talked to you about something called the order of salvation, and we looked at Romans 8. Because there's really an order in which these things happen. And we don't think through them a lot. But there was election and predestination that happened before the beginning of the world. There was the atonement of Christ that happened, and this is for us to look back on. Then there was a gospel call. Now, all this doesn't, from here forward, doesn't really have to happen. I think a lot of these things happen like they just, they're not, this happens one day, this happens one day, um, which is why I don't like the idea of a second blessing or, uh, you know, you got to get saved and then receive the Holy Spirit and all that stuff. You know, from here on, I think God does this except glorification all at once. You hear the gospel, you may hear it 150 times, but then that one time the gospel is preached or you're thinking about the gospel or you're reading the gospel or you're whatever, you're sitting at home alone in the inward call of God because of that gospel you've heard, that effectual call comes and it regenerates you. Because, see, and maybe regeneration happens, again, it's not a timeline from here forward, but you remember, go from dead in your sin, dead spiritually, not able to be alive, to suddenly you're alive and you believe this is real and true and for you. So regeneration has happened. You've been regenerated from death to life. And again, at that point, I mean, your will has had nothing to do with this. You couldn't have willed yourself alive. But then, because of regeneration and the, and the, and the um, effectual call of God, there comes faith and repentance, right? So you have the regeneration, then you have faith and repentance. All those things, I mean, um, again, I think repentance is not something, you know, we've tried to tell people, okay, well now just tell God you're sorry for your sin. Repentance is, something, again, something that happens that you can't even, you can't make, you can't make that up. Suddenly, <clears throat> I mean, uh, repentance is recognizing you're sinful. I've sinned against this holy God who's saving me now. And 
the more you live, the more you understand repentance, right? The more you live in Christ, the more you understand, I'm, I'm a wicked somebody. In fact, I heard, uh, I read this, I think it was C.S. Lewis that was credited for saying, until I started trying to be good, I didn't realize how wicked I am. But, but the more I tried to do right, then I started recognizing, man, I'm pretty dang sinful. And I mean, I didn't realize back then how sinful I was, but now I'm recognizing it. And I think uh, I heard that or read it, and I thought, man, you know, that's the truth. Because sometimes you think, man, you know, back before I knew the gospel, I thought I was a pretty good person. <laughs> you know, I thought I was doing pretty good. And then the more, and even since I've been saved and preaching and reading the Bible, studying these doctrines, the more I read and learn about God, the more I understand my sinfulness, which is, I think, um, I think that might be as good a sign of spiritual growth as anything. My, my friend Mark uh, DeRay's husband, that we're, we're talking about DeRay, her husband, he used to say that fact. He said, I don't think there's a greater spiritual sign of spiritual growth in my own life than the, the recognition of my sin. Because now I'm more and more sensitive and aware of my sin every day. You know, it doesn't take me three months to realize, well, you know, that was probably sin. But, I mean, the Holy Spirit is has regenerated us and, and uh, brings us to repentance. And, of course, I'm getting off track. I'm sorry. Uh, election, predestination, atonement, the gospel call, the inward or call that we're talking about here, effectual call, faith and repentance, all these kind of, you can do faith slash repentance, same thing. Then justification and sanctification. So, because, again, I think these things happen in Christ. Christ died for your justification. He died for your sanctification. In Christ, we are sanctified. There is this idea of we are constantly progressively being sanctified and set apart but the reality is you are sanctified in christ you've been set apart you can't be any more sanctified now your life can um your life can can bear more fruit as god gives you more fruit but i think sometimes we 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 have to be careful how we talk about progressive sanctification i'm not saying that it doesn't happen but i think we tend to think we're earning some things we're not. There was nothing that Christ did that was not complete, right? He completely died to justify you. He completely covered all your sin, ones you've done, ones you haven't done. He completely um, secured your faith. He completely secured your eternal redemption. He completely secured your sanctification. And therefore, the last thing on this order of salvation, you will be glorified. Glorification, right? So I just wanted you to see that because we talked about it a few weeks back, but I want you to see that inward call or this effectual call fits into there. And it also fits into, if you remember way back, um, but especially those of you who, are, who have become members of the church and we talked through um, the, the um, doctrines of grace and we got to that um, irresistible grace, the I, irresistible grace. That's what This is what we're talking about. Again, it's not... We believe in the doctrine of irresistible grace not because you're a robot and you have no choice, but we believe that because of the call of the gospel and the effectual call of God, eventually your will will be overtaken by God's will and changed and conformed. That's that. Did you see removing the stony heart, putting the heart of flesh, that pliable heart, that's God changing your heart from stone and rock to flesh so that now that, that, that heart of stone has become a heart of flesh and instead of being hard and insensitive, you're very sensitive to the Spirit of God and you're changed and you're made new and all of a sudden your will 
Uh, he's changed your will even. And now you have the will to do things you didn't have the will to do before. I mean, you know what it's like used to when you're like, oh, I don't, don't want to go to church. And suddenly, I mean, not every Sunday I get it, but most Sundays you're like, man, I can't wait to go worship and hear from God and sing, be with the saints and be together with the people. Um, and, and even so, I mean, we all have a testimony of the things that we used to want to do and now we don't want to do those things, things we used to not want to do and now we do want to do those things. I mean, that is irresistible grace. Okay, so don't ever think, let people say, oh, irresistible grace. Yeah, that's where you think God's just going to compound you over the head and drag you to the altar no, this is God overcoming us. First of all, he regenerates us. And the truth is, once we've gone from death to life, our will has already been changed. You're not going to have to be beaten because you've been dead and now you're alive. You know, I mean, you think about that song we sing all the time. I once was blind, but now I see. I don't want to go back to not seeing. I want to see. And so, anyways, that's... Uh, Effectual calling to this point. Anybody want to comment or ask a question? Or? You saw the uh, sanctification part. Uh, I always had the mindset based on the way things were taught. I used to imagine, like, well, when you get to heaven, there's going to be some that are closer to the throne, some that are further back, you know, all right. depending on how faithful you walk and how holy you were in this life and that sort of thing. Right. But somehow there's, there's going to be room at the table always. So there's not going to be a back seat or, I mean, so to speak, you know, I, I can't, who knows what it's really going to be like other than what little bit we see in scripture. But, but yeah, there's not going to, there's definitely, I mean, I think you're right. There, there's not going to be a, I mean, if there's going to be, if there's going to be places in heaven and that just seems contrary to most of scripture. Well, you know, in the Old Testament, when the camp, when they would set up camp, you know, they did it in a circle, right? And right. The, the tabernacle was in the, in the center. Right? The Ark of the Covenant and everything was in the center. So everybody was equally distanced, you know, from, right. from the presence of God, you know. Yep. And that was telling us a lot there. Um, why don't we look at some of these verses that they have listed here? Because I just mentioned several times Romans 8.30. Actually, let's back up to uh, back up to twenty nine. Um, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And um, again, that's just speaking to God. However, he did it. He had knowledge of who he was going to predestine, and he foreknew them. And he didn't foreknow things about them. This is another area that we have to be careful about. People say, "Oh yeah, well, I believe in foreknowledge and predestination." God knows who will make a decision for him, so he predestines those who he knows will decide. And I know I've told you all this before, but that leads the ball back in our court. So I could get to heaven and say, well, of course he chose me because I made good decisions. 
I mean, he looked down. I had somebody ask me that one time. Well, don't you think this just predestination is just God looking down through history and seeing what people are going to do? Well, I mean, no, but okay, I'll play that game. So yeah, God can see for two, two hundred, ten thousand years down the road, know that I'm going to decide this. How does he know I'm going to decide that? And besides that, is there any chance that I will not decide that if God knows I'm going to decide that? No. Well, if he looked and saw it, then he learned it. He didn't already know it. Well, yeah, besides that. As he looked. Right. But him knowing the future has everything to do with him ordaining the future. Is my point. You know, that's why I'm trying to get to. If he does know that, why does he know that? And is there any chance that can be different? Okay, well, if there's no chance that can ever be different, then what's the difference in saying it's predestined and ordained by God? It's the same thing. You just want to put it in human, you want to, you want to leave it in human choice rather than God's choice. And I know why, because then when you turn around and say, well, then that means people that aren't saved was also God's choice. Well, yeah, but except the Bible says um, God leaves them in their condemnation. Um and, and of course, you know, I've I've talked about that before. I, I think we we have to be careful of think trying to make doctrines that aren't scriptural and try to make up things that we haven't been revealed to us, right? We don't know how God chooses or why. So I don't have to wonder about that, but what I do know is he does choose some for eternal life. And I'm supposed to preach the gospel and he's gonna save his people. So you know, yeah. So we, we can't look down and change because that would be against us. Right. But it also says elect, which one like you can't get around the word elect and what it means. It doesn't mean like chose. Right. Down that way somewhere it's like no, it means he chose. Well, especially the word foreknow. Because foreknow is a very intimate word. Not just um, he knew before. Yeah, it means that he not just knew beforehand, but he knew or loved them. Yeah, he knew them intimately. Um, and, and yes, and elect. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of, you can make things up and say words mean things they don't, but like say, yeah, it's hard to get around it. Um, and again, I just don't, now I used to believe that, so I understand it, but now that I see it, I can't unsee it, right? So I don't, now I have a hard time, like, why do you want so much just to be a human thing? I mean, don't that scare you? And, you know, it's amazing that when people talk about, th say things like, well, you know, God wouldn't do anything against our free will. I mean, he's given us free will. Well, you better hope he does because um, if not, we're just, you just got to hope that one day you change your mind, right? And that's a bad I mean, the way I used to believe and live, I was never going to change my mind because I'd rather not think about this. And plus, anytime we pray, when we pray for people to be saved, I mean, who prays that way? When Lord, please save my, my nephew, but don't do anything to hurt his free will. I mean, I want you to save him any way you can, but I mean, we don't pray that way. I mean, I've prayed for friends before, and, and I, I need to go back to praying that. But even for my own kids, I mean, I was just like, Lord, I don't care what it takes. I mean, just bring them to life from death. And, of course, I know now you're going to have to change their will because their will is bent 
uh, by sin. And so, um, but anyways, did we read Romans eight twenty nine? I just read part of it. Y'all need to quit stopping me when I'm reading, all right? For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to, and conform, uh, to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. That's just one of the beautiful passages that uh, so clearly points out that there is no break in action. I mean, what God foreordained, he does. And it's as good as done. And um, we'll look at that Ephesians 1, too. That's kind of hot here, isn't it? It's burning up. Well, for some reason, I can't. Is that a repentance passage? No. So, for the unbelieving husband is made holy oh. because of the wife. And oh. I think I've seen the word sanctified in there. So, I think a lot of times people use that word in conjunction with salvation. And I don't know that it always should be. I think in that sense, the way it's used in that passage, that Pharaoh was sanctified. Judas was sanctified. They were used for God's purpose. They were saved. Right. Well, and the context always determines um, word meaning, no matter what the word means in that sense, in that verse for real. That's a very much contested verse anyways by a lot of different people. First Corinthians 7. Um, what was I going to Oh, Ephesians 1. I skipped Romans 11, 7. Because I, I think we talked about this Ephesians 1 and 10. It's about time to go. Uh, what is it? Well, starting 9, uh, 8. He, he, la he lavishes love upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. And... Um, of course, we've obtained this inheritance, and before that, talks a lot about predestination and um, and really God's uh, plan of uh, covenant of redemption um, and everything. Ephesians wants a great place to go. Uh, anything else you want to ask before? I don't think we're going to get through the rest of this. There's some other things we need to talk about later on in this chapter that would take a little more time, probably. Questions or comments? Everybody clear about what we mean by effectual calling? Y'all know all this stuff anyway, so. Y'all aren't learning anything new. Huh? It's very humbling. It is very humbling. And comforting. I think that's the other thing, learning to rest in Christ. And this is part of it. God, this is. Yeah. And it doesn't cause us to say, well, good, I'll go live how I want to now. I don't want to live that way. <laughs> and that's the, again, that's been the, that's been the fear. Well, that's where there's a struggle.
struggles with yeah. Romans 7. And like Paul Mark said, that if you begin to recognize your sin, then you see it because what is right in front of you. Yeah. It's ever before me. Well, suddenly it's just so evident to you that, man, I mean, I need a Savior. Because even on the days I'm not doing anything that anybody would notice is bad, my mind is in places that it shouldn't be and all over. You know, even if sometimes I think about the the depravity of man is possibly never more evident than in your dreams. You ever dream things and wake up and go, what on earth was that? Where did that come from? You think, I don't I haven't been watching anything on TV. I haven't been reading anything. Huh? Oh, driving in traffic. But I've thought about that before. Some of the dreams that I've dreamt, and God, I mean, killing people or whatever it is, and you're thinking, I mean, that's just got to be my depraved flesh and my mind that does what it wants to sometimes. But, all right, I'm going to pray real fast and then we can dismiss. Father, again, thank you for your word. And um, for these doctrines that matter so much, and I think for people who want to learn them and care about them, and uh, just continue to bless our church for your glory and, uh, and our lives and our families as well. In Jesus' name, amen.